This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hey everyone, my name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And I'm here today with Maxwell Vogue. Hey guys, how you doing? And uh, together with uh, Max, uh, we have a guest today. That's Anna Savelyov, which I hope I'm not mispronouncing too terribly. And welcome to the show, Anna. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. Hello, everyone out there. Okay, great. Well, so Anna is uh, with us, and she's the CEO and co-founder of Thor 3D. And Thor 3D is a 3D scanner company. And uh, they specialize in kind of like, uh, well, it's a handheld scanners, medium format kind of handheld scanners. And she, she was with uh, Thor 3D from the very, very beginnings. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk her, to her a little bit today about, uh, yeah, the business of 3D scanning and, uh, yeah, what's happening in 3D scanning, what the future is. And, uh, yeah, so, 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 so how'd you end up in 3D scanning, uh, Anna? Yeah, it's actually, it was completely accidental. I'm a diplomat by trade. I worked for nonprofits for many years, and I moved to Moscow to work for uh, an American nonprofit which was going well, uh, but then I had some friends of mine who were starting a business and they said, hey, you speak English, we need someone to create some marketing materials for our new product. I said, oh yeah, what's the product? And they said, well, we're creating this handheld 3D scanner. I said, wow, what's a 3D scanner? So that's how I accidentally became the director of sales at uh, Artec Group, which is a pretty well-known, um, actually world leader in 3D scanning um, today. So that was in 2009. It's been a while. Okay, and then uh, and and so what has changed since you've you've, you've gotten into 3D scanning? Because that's yeah, it's quite a number of years you spent. But what's changed in the market from from yeah the very your very beginning so long ago and now? You know, it's interesting. Uh, Ten years ago, when I'd go to shows, I'd have to explain to almost every single visitor what a 3D scanner is and how it is used. And the most common question used to be well, how can I use it in my business? This is my business, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it is. And I would have to spend the first part of any kind of sales presentation and explaining, well, let's see, you're in medicine. This is some of the examples of how you can use 3D scanning in medicine or you're in industry or whatever. So that was the first few years. Now, no one really asks that question anymore. It seems like um, there's been a lot of uh, news stories on your local news channels, even uh, in the media. And I don't know, The Economist did a whole thing on it a few years back. So uh, I really don't have to explain to anyone what a 3D scanner is. A lot of times people start with, oh, 3D scanners, is that like 3D printers? And I do have to say that they're related <laughs> and they're often used together, but they're kind of different industries. Uh-huh. So it's gotten easier that way. From a sales point of view, who who are you seeing as the majority of your customers these days? Um, I would say they're pretty evenly divided into, I would say three groups. So a third is scanning people, anything having to do with scanning people, because it used to be pretty difficult. Humans right. they move, right? Um, they can't stand still. You breathe, you twitch, you I, I move your eyeballs. So <laughs> uh, ten years ago there wasn't. A scanner for scanning humans at all. Um, so Artec was actually the first to do that. 
Um, there are scanners now that can, but very few still to this day. So we're, we have a large uh, portion of that market. So when do you need to scan humans? So obviously medicine, there are many subspecialties. Um, and um, anything having to do with uh, CG animation, so computer graphics, yep. um, movies, um, commercials, things like that. And then um, for a while, I'm sure you guys know, there was a boom in uh, scanning humans and creating these little uh, figurines on 3D printers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, has, that has, has that passed. peaked? Has it passed? <laughs> yes, that has passed. So the peak was, uh, I would say, from 2013 to about... 2015 uh, that's when everyone who wanted to try this business model of putting scanners and printers in malls right. or on beaches or in Disneyland or something um, that they've all tried it and I would say nine out of ten have failed unfortunately um, for many reasons and if you're interested I can go into that <laughs> but uh, yeah that peak that has peaked and long has gone so that's uh, a third of, of our customers. A third is industry, so reverse engineering, quality control, um, anything having to do with scanning metal things. On the, uh, on the quality control, do you mean like you're scanning, uh, you know, the existing product and then using that as like the golden template and then on a production line scanning things? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's like when you, uh, let's say you produce the hubcap right. and then you have a CAD version of that hubcap. And every 50th or 100 one that comes off the assembly line, you want to scan it and compare the scan to the CAD to make sure that the machinery uh, is working properly. So when you start to have a lot of deviation, you know, oh, something has worn out or I need to check the machine because I'm not producing the same product. So number 50 does not have the same geometrical shape as number one. Right. So, okay. yeah, so yep. quality control. Um, and then a third, just to finish uh, uh, my thought here, the, a third is everything else. Uh, we uh, work in a really fun industry where uh, we have the most diverse type of uh, client. Um, any, we have archaeologists, for example, um, that um, you scan the archaeological dig uh, you scan it every time you uh, dig up maybe a few centimeters of ground. So what they used to do before is they used to take photographs. But in that, you can't really uh, document the shape of the bones. You, let's say you found dinosaur bones and they're scattered around in a certain way. You want to understand how they were positioned one to the other. And with a photograph, you can't really do that very well. So archaeologists now, instead of taking photos or aside from taking photos, I should say, uh, they also 3D scan the ground uh, every few centimeters. So every layer that they take off, they have a record of how they found the bones. So archaeologists are our customers. Um, architects, when they're trying to restore an old Victorian building, let's say there's a beautiful fireplace and it's crumbling. So it's kind of also reverse engineering, but we qualified it under um, uh, restoration. So architects use it. Um, we've had really fun, um, interesting out there uh, type of customers. For example, I once got a phone call from a TV show uh, from a TV show in Canada, and they were doing a reality show. They were trying to find Bigfoot, and I said, "My God, what possible reason do you have?" Uh, for wanting a 3D scanner, and apparently they wanted to scan uh, footsteps that they yeah. found 
and they wanted to scan the fecal matter yep. to analyze the geometry of it. So <laughs> sometimes we have really interesting case studies. I, we can't publish all of them, but but yeah, there's really a huge uh, a spectrum of, uh, of of people who can use 3D scanning. Are you profitable? We are profitable, yeah. There Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. Well, I, you know, I know a lot of companies that are profitable, that they still keep doing things. No, actually, <laughs> we're uh, bootstrappers. So oh, any nice. Money we, make, uh, we don't have investors. Any money we make, we put back into the business. And so maybe we don't grow as fast as others, mm -hmm. but uh, at least it's all ours. Fair enough. That's, that's how uh, we did it at 3Doodler. It's all bootstrapped. Yeah, because you're more hungry that way, right? You don't exactly. have anybody else's money to spend. Well, no, don't I, get me wrong. If there's an investor that wants to invest, I, I'd be open to hearing it, but it, it would have to be a perfect partner, you know? Yeah. So, does it change the way you make decisions because you're bootstrapped? Is it... Well, yeah, of course. If, if you um, know that there's no one out there to give you cash, then you can only spend what you have in the bank, and you also have to... I don't know. I think you have to be more agile, for sure. You have to p pick and choose the exhibitions you go to or the marketing materials you create. Um, it's definitely, it keeps you on your toes. On the other hand, it does make you grow slower in the sense that, so I've announced a new product and the number one complaint right now from our customers is, hey, you don't have enough uh, training videos. Right. So how to use the scanner, and it's somewhat simple to use, but there's still tips and tricks, and obviously it's not point and click. There are some nuances to it, and the learning curve is about two weeks, but if the customer doesn't get good training from a distributor, um, then he's kind of left out there in the cold. So what we're doing right now is we're just providing, uh, for anyone who complains, uh, we say, don't worry, you're we're not leaving you in the... In the, in the lurch here, uh, we're going to do a free training for you and as many times as you want. Just call us, Skype us, and we'll take care of you. But obviously, that's not sustainable, um, you know, when or you scalable. sell. Yeah. Right. The, if you sell 100 scanners a month, then that's 100 customers, new customers every month. That's impossible to give everyone the personalized attention because a proper training is two or three hours long. So we need to make more videos, but those cost money. Um, it, yeah, as, as you probably know, yeah, yeah. videos are expensive. So what, what kind of technology are you guys facing? Like you're, are you using laser scanning or are you using just image scanning or what's it, uh, what's it look like? Uh, for most, most handheld scanners use something called structured light, um, or variations on that. And that, that principle has been around for a while, maybe I won't say 30 years. There's really... You know, fundamentally, all the scanners that, that are similar to us, and there's only a few, um, they're pretty close technology-wise. The secret sauce usually is the math. So it's the algorithms, it's the software. If you have the best mathematicians, if you have really good um, mathematicians, they'll be able to take this uh, concept that everyone is using and make it better. So that's what's happening on the market right now, is there haven't been really too many fundamental shifts over the last 10 years. Uh, technology-wise, in our little niche of structured light handheld scanners. So, is this a, is this a question of algorithms? Is this a question of computing power? Is it a question of like where are the limits then? But why don't I? Why can't I've tried three D scanning and stuff. It's always really hard. I mean, it's all it's it's much more precise and there's a lot more stitching and three D modeling. The 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 you know you end up doing. 
right? So, so what's holding that back? Is it is it the math? Like you say, is it that simple or? Well, um, what I used to say for many years, it's it's the computer industry. They they haven't caught up with us uh, because, and that's true right now still. But there's another factor. So uh, for the computer industry, um, think about this: you're collecting millions of points per second, and when you're scanning, by the end of it, let's say you scan a human, uh, full body scan, you might have. I mean, you will have millions and millions of points. That's a lot of data. And when you put it, when you're trying to post-process it, even in a very sim, uh, in a very powerful computer, like a server with 35, 32 gigs of RAM, with a really the latest graphics card, et cetera, et cetera, even that computer will still take some time to post-process all this data into a single file. So the computers aren't there yet. That's why 3D scanning is never quick. You will spend some time on it. Um, but the other thing is that actually the optics industry hasn't caught up either. There's a limit to what we can do with lenses and with cameras. Over time, it will get better incrementally. Every technology evol evol evolves. However, like I said, there hasn't been really any revolutionary technology out there that I know of. And obviously we keep a very close eye on the industry optics and computers that will really make a breakthrough. So truth be told, I'm not extremely worried, at least in the near future, like in the next six months, that someone will come out with something revolutionary. So if your listeners are waiting for a breakthrough, well, maybe something will come out in six months, I will say, don't wait. You're not going to see something revolutionary in six months. It's unlikely. So evolutionary, not revolutionary. Okay. How long does it take to scan like a human right now? Um, and generate the file. Minutes. A couple of minutes. And then how long to generate the file? Um, ten minutes. It oh, depends okay. on whether you need color or not. If you need texture, that takes longer. Can probably fifteen minutes. If you don't, if you just need the geometry, then uh, anywhere from five to ten, depending on the strength of your computer. I mean, that seems relatively fast to me. It's faster now. It used to be much longer, oh, okay. yeah. five years ago. But again, because there have been certain improvements in computers, right. graphics cards have gotten better. 32 gigabytes of RAM is not unheard of anymore in a regular laptop. Well, right. that's the other thing is when you buy a 3D scanner, um, we don't want to force you to buy a new computer, but sometimes we have to because people might have outdated hardware and it's just, yeah, you can post-process it, but it'll take you two hours on your current laptop. You know, so consider that when buying that technology, you might have to invest in a new laptop. But, but why don't I do that in the cloud? Uh, do you really want to have your data, like send gigabytes worth of data over the Internet? You could, but it'll just be slower because of that, because then you'll have to send gigabytes worth of raw data to the cloud and then same time coming back. Well, it'll be faster coming back, but still. Why isn't it like asynchronous? Why don't I just upload it and then on two hours later I get an email? Hey, it's done. Just for me, for workflow, I don't know. It wouldn't really matter that much to me. I got. I don't think. That, that's a whole different business, right? Yeah, it, it, it's something to that that certain companies have tried to make a business out of. Um, it doesn't work very well in our industry because there are so many things to consider. For example, um, let's say you scan something, you send the data in the to someone else to post-process, and then they have all these questions like, what do you want the resolution to be? 
right? Like how detailed do you want the object to be? Uh, do you need to cut out the floor, right? Because when you capture, let's say, coming back to the example of a human, you will inevitably uh, capture some of the floor that the person is standing on. So the question is, do you want me to cut it off the floor? And that's manual labor. Or there are some algorithms that can do it automatically, but it's also a little, it's a question, right? There are other questions like, um, do you want the, to simplify the mesh to make it way less? For example, because you want to upload it to some online library and you don't want it to weigh very, a lot. So there are all these questions that it's, it's almost simpler to do it yourself than to try to answer a bunch of questions of what you want the model to look like in the end. Yeah, is that also the reason why there's no 3D scanning service? There's no like uh, Shapeways or whatever for 3D scanning? Uh, but how do you do it remotely, right? We would have to oh, come You need a piece of hardware, yeah. Uh, no, either like you send stuff to them or something like that. I try to look into the how to figure that out, but nobody could give me good consistent costing. So the idea of just sending uh, an object to someone, they scan it and then send it back to you. Oh, they have Why those. They have yeah. yeah. I mean, because you can't always send the objects by mail. Let's say you want to scan a car. It doesn't really work. Yeah. Or you want to scan inside of a car. Um, it's a smaller object, but still, you can't take it out and mail it. But uh, usually local distributors will do that for you. Wherever you are in the world, there's a distributor that sells this equipment and they usually have a demo unit and they perform these scanning services for you. It's just not organized into a whole ecosystem like Shapeways because truth be told, there's less need for 3D scanning than for 3D printing. So the market is smaller. Do you have an idea of, of the larger market, not Thor 3D, but or the whole market of how many... How big would you say the scan, the 3D scanning market is? Uh, there are some studies. Um, I tend to not believe them very <laughs> much. Sometimes they call me for advice and right. and so my opinion. And it's like, well, that's just my opinion. And if they collect ten opinions, it doesn't ma it doesn't mean that it's the truth, you know. But um, some studies say two to five billion dollar market 3D scanning in general. I don't know. Does that number give you anything? Doesn't I don't know. That seems big and unrealistic, <laughs> but maybe I'm missing a lot. No, no. I mean, think about, I mean, the bigger part of the uh, 3D scanning market is not our niche. It's not handheld. From right. No, no, no. Big scale. But it's like scanning uh, buildings or when you, you, there are scanners, long range scanners that can scan up to five, seven kilometers, right? So like three to five miles. Right. And the, they're used all the time in when they're building railroads, right? You go and scan the mountain that you're trying to build a railroad through. So that market uh, is much bigger than ours, but it's still part of the 3D. Oh, and then of course the biggest 3D scanner market uh, is even not that, it's uh, the dental market. So every other dentist in the world now uses 3D scanning for um, for your teeth. So when they're, they're developing your uh, implants, mm -hmm. that's an established market. They've been around for 20 years. I saw at one point that they would be very soon be coming out with these ear scanners as well to completely digitize the hearing aid process. And still, they the, a lot of these guys use wax, Is that? Uh, but then they also use a 3D scanner to scan the wax. Is that also because these ear scanners are also a little bit too complicated? or? Yeah, how do you get a scanner inside the ear? It's a problem. Because you, really, uh, you, you don't just scan the outside, right? You need a little bit inside. That's where the issue comes in. And there are all sorts of tricks for it, but... Uh, what people have figured out that at least for now it's easier to put some 
wax inside, take it out, and then 3D scan the object that you take out. Because then there are yeah. no issues of trying to get inside the, the ear. The same thing with um, the prosthetics industry, where there was a lot of excitement when, when these scanners first came out, that uh, you'll be able to get rid of any kind of mold or, or um, any kind of uh, a gypsum par- powder, which they used to, they used to f- put like a cast on you. And then right, cut off make the a cast. Yeah. Right. They cut yeah. off the cast because that gives you the shape of, of your arm or leg or part of your leg. And then they would send that cast to the manufacturer to create a prosthetic or, or thesis. But uh, the problem with that, well, there are several issues with, with that old style approach. One is that uh, during shipment, these casts, they could break or deform. So they would have to do it several times. The other issue is um, that becomes a medical record and in many countries you have to keep medical records for seven years so imagine this poor manufacturer of prosthetics he has a huge warehouse full of these casts right oh, wow. which he, he cannot discard so right. uh, they tried um, the, the the prosthetics industry was really excited about oh now we're just gonna get a scanner we're gonna scan people's legs and then we won't have to keep these physical casts in our warehouse. But what that that created some new problems as well, where, and if you're not in the industry, you wouldn't know this, but when the doctor creates the cast, they actually, while the cast is still wet, they push in with their fingers in certain portions. Uh, they actually deform the cast um, for their purposes, medical purposes. And you couldn't do that with a 3D scan because a 3D scan is exactly the geometry of the leg. So you can't make the markings, you can't, there were all sorts of issues. So in the end, uh, kind of a compromise in the industry was reached where they still do the cast, but then they 3D scan the cast at the doctor's office so they don't have to ship them. And then they can throw away the cast and keep the 3D model. So they solved both of those problems without actually scanning the legs. It's a lot of trial and error. This this has been going on over the last 10 years. That's the That's where we are right now is the perfect medium that that these um doctors have found it's the same thing that, like also with the foot scanners right because we we kind of all all really easily talk about this idea of everyone going into a nike store or whatever and then getting like their feet scanned and then having a yeah, there are also a lot of challenges with those right you know i haven't heard of a successful <laughs> uh of a successful launch maybe i'm just haven't been paying attention. Maybe there are some as of recently, but all these uh, attempts to put scanners in stores, be it for footwear or for uh, human body scanning, uh, to find the perfect pair of jeans, uh, it hasn't worked for one reason or another. So think about it this way. For example, I was in a, where was I? In San Jose and in Silicon Valley. And in the mall there, they had a full body scanner. Um, you can get yourself scanned, um, and then they would have this printout where they would say, okay, uh, according to our calculations, you will find the perfect pair of jeans in store number 55, go downstairs, and you need this pair of jeans, this size, um, and then if you want the perfect blouse, you go to another store, it's on the left, and you need this size. And I thought, what a great idea. But then when I actually did it and I bought the clothes, it turned out it wasn't a perfect fit. And the reason that is, is because you get scanned in your clothing, right? right? And so the geometry of your body changes. Uh, The computer tries to take account 
a few extra I don't know inches of material around you but still it's not a perfect fit so to go through all that trouble to use all that technology and in the end it would have been just simpler to try on a few different pairs of jeans I I think they closed that project within six months of opening it not to mention all the clothing is mass-produced therefore it's not going to be a perfect fit ever because it's made in a general more sense <laughs> right but their argument was that precisely we know the your exact geometry so we'll only recommend the ones that are perfect for your body shape right and they were trying to solve that problem of mass production but they couldn't do it and also for shoes do you believe in it as well i mean is that or is that even more complicated because you have to i should be walking and you're compressing your soul and then right you know, well I, I don't know how much i mean i feel like i'm talking a lot here <laughs> but uh, yeah. um so with shoes, it's a different issue. Um, Actually, because... I don't even like each other anymore. No, like, yeah. We just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We actually record this in two separate booths. And, oh, you know, that's... Like, that's right. We, we're never actually talking. I don't hear what Joris ever says, and Joris doesn't hear what I say. And then Jake just edits, edits, edits it all together. So... Um, when do I get to ask you guys questions? Oh, you, you can ask questions by all means. You're the first person to ask us questions. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, I think it's really fascinating. Like with the doodle pen. Yeah, I I find that fascinating. I've tried to use one, and it was a complete disaster. <laughs> how do you how do you even start? I mean, 3D scanning seems simple by comparison. How you got these kids building Golden Gate bridges on on your website? Like, wow, yeah. that's that's really impressive. So I must be doing something wrong. Uh, we do most of the complicated stuff is actually done flat. So the the Golden Gate, ah, for example, you're just taking a piece sense. of paper and you're drawing on the piece of paper to make the pieces, and then you so you're you're tracing. So right. if you can trace on a regular piece of paper, you can trace with the three doodler, and then you take those pieces off the paper and then you join them together at the points where they join together. So you just add some material and then stick them together uh, using the pen. Wow. So. Yeah, anything complex is actually really simple. It, it's just learning how to do it. That's the the more difficult part is like explaining to people. And we have like 300 and some odd stencils on our website and plus curricular material and stuff like that. So yeah, uh, my wallet, for example, I made with the three doodler. It's just uh, four rectangles. And then I <laughs> use the pen to join the four rectangles together. But I do a lot of international travel. So like a lot of US wallets are just sized for US currency. And it's like bang my head. When you go anywhere else because you can't fit a euro and you can't fit like a renminbi and so i made my own custom wallet to solve that problem for me wow um, yeah so wouldn't it have been easier just to buy a wallet in a country that has the largest currency like the uk <laughs> well it took me 30 45 okay. minutes to make a wallet so and it's less okay. than a dollar worth of material well, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, I was at a show somewhere, uh, I think in China, and the Chinese uh, manufacturer of 3D pens were trying to get us to resell it, which obviously we're not very interested in, but just because it's not our business. And um, But they gave us a, a generic pen for to use, to try. And when I got back, yeah, when I got, got back home, and they were really prepared, actually, because they had our logo on the pen, because I guess they're that's their marketing approach yeah. um, ahead of time. So when we met at the show, they gave us the pen. I thought, okay, well, that's cool. I'll, I'll try it. And I just couldn't get anything done. And then a day later, one of our programmers who apparently spent the night here, uh, he was so enthralled by the process. He gave me, I think it was a Christmas tree or something. He made something and it was so sweet. And I was so amazed by his 
abilities, but uh, I know it's not as easy as it seems. I the doing the flat stuff is it can be quite easy, and then joining it together. The in the air drawing, um, that's where you start to get into this like learning curve, and have to have a real artistic sense or a really good three dimensional sense, uh, because you know you have to relearn how to draw in the air. We we don't tend to draw in the air as little kids, uh, yeah. or we didn't, and you know. So we're seeing a lot of artists though, that can do some really amazing things. You can also draw on things. So, for example, uh, someone made a copy of a car. Uh, they just doodled on top of the car. That that actually, yeah, a lot <laughs> and of they possibilities. Take it off. Yeah. I was gonna say that uh, you can do a lot of a lot of uh, things with it, but my uh, the first thing I thought, wow, this is pretty hard. I'm not doing a good job here. But then the other thing I thought about was, wow, you gotta sell so many of them because the profit margin is so small on those things. They're quite cheap. Well, okay, affordable. That's they're the affordable. They're affordable. <laughs> yeah, we've sold over 2.5 million units. That's incredible. That's incredible. So you got all these. I'm complaining about having a hundred new customers a right. month. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, that's uh, shame on me. <laughs> no, but, hey, you know, <laughs> it's a good problem to have. It's a good problem yeah. to have. Um, but yeah, no, we're we'll probably hit three million this year. I think. Um, wow, that's. That's great. Congrats. That's, Thank that's you. Yeah. big considering you have so much competition, right? I mean, that's considering you have the cheaper Chinese products and Well, they're all they're all knockoffs. They don't have patents. Um, and you guys do. And we do. And so that's... they they have limits as to what they can do as a result. Interesting. Well, Joris, you go. I I apologize for interrupting. Oh, that's all good. Uh uh, what I'm saying is, is there like a competition? Is there like some kind of like an Olympics or kind of an art gallery of all the coolest three doodler stuff? Uh, yeah, there's a couple things online and there's yeah. a whole bunch of Pinterest stuff. Uh, it's there's uh, obviously Instagram has like just a massive amount. There's actually a Russian woman, uh, I can't remember her name, but she watched every video that we had and then she got the pen like three months later. And just immediately started producing three-dimensional busts. Wow, um, beautiful pieces that <laughs> just like what? And we called her and we're like, "What? How did you do this?" And she was like, "Oh, I just watched everything, and then I thought about it for a while, and then I bought one of your pens, and then bam." And I'm like, <laughs> "Now she was an artist and a sculptor beforehand, obviously, but um, she was able to make these just amazing pieces just right away." Whereas like the there's a designer in Australia that does dresses. Um, and what she does is she uses uh, a, a dress form to start the piece and then goes off of that. Um, so it starts somewhat traditional and then goes crazier. Um, she's all about having pieces that like stick out in ways that you could never even 3D print it or, um, or, or do it with cloth. Um, they're very organic looking. So. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, just have, like, a show, like a gallery show or something, you know? Yeah, there have been a number of people who have done gallery shows. So, like, different artists who but, like, have done different shows. But of, but... All the cool, of all the cool stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I have to, like, get, you know, no, people no, like, from every show somewhere of the like... planet. Yeah! yeah. That's oh, actually dude. a great idea, huh? I'm sure. Pretty cool, like, yeah. Yeah, you have somebody yeah, from you Africa, could... you have somebody from South America. I'm sure they'll be very yeah, different could... visually. Yeah, exactly. You do like a, a, a like a design event or something like that. Don't do it at Salona. It's ridiculously expensive. But, but like something else might work. 
No, you do it like there's Dutch Design Week, for example, stuff like that. There's like big design events, and they're and they the type of people that go there are the type of people that, you know, either pay too much for a lamp, or, <laughs> or or you know, or, or would tend to, to to think they're creative or want to be creative, uh, or they really want their kids to do sciencey stuff. So it'd be wonderful. So I think to do like an a gallery show there or something like that. Yeah, I think it'd be great. I'm, let's 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 do it, George. You can help organize it. Sure, dude. Because I'm so good at organizing things. Yeah. I'm amazing at organizing things. Well, speaking of that, uh, George, yeah. you said I can ask you a question. Yeah. How do you like your well, no longer new, but relatively new job? You guys uh, are like a year and a half. I don't I don't usually take jobs this long. Really? <laughs> No. So I guess that's, uh, I that's, it, that's a good thing that you, you like yeah. it, huh? No, it's, it's great. It's it's very different. I mean, so we've got a good team. We've got a nice group of people. Uh, it's, it's very different to, to, to write about other people all the time. So, and to observe more and to not be doing stuff or not trying to crush people or or not trying to like out-compete or whatever, but just t- trying to just write about what everybody's up to. So, so, what are the trends of, that you're seeing in the industry? Trends? Uh, yeah. Is that the, the PR people are getting worse. <laughs> They're getting horrible. Uh, that's How's my that? main trend. That's the bane of my existence. Uh, well, because they're, they're, just, they're just really inefficient and they're really impersonal. So, a couple of years ago, you had just like, you know, the marketing manager would email you, you know? So, you're talking to someone from the business and now you have somebody email you who doesn't care, you know? I just got like you get press releases without images. You get press releases with that are, things are wrong and people don't know what they're talking about. So yeah, it's just like so this professionalization of the industry is not only like really good. So on the one hand, we're getting a lot of influx of new blood, new people, like new accountants and new marketing people, and you know to professionalize everything. But on the other hand, it makes stuff less personal. Uh, so that's 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 one thing. And and, and in the case of the PR thing, it makes stuff less. Yeah, you know, perform less because you kind of get these boilerplate uh, kind of responses and stuff like that. And just generally, I think yeah, I think everyone's aware of the trends. You know, move more towards industrialization. You know, more towards end-to-end software tool chains, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> uh, more towards uh, certification. Uh, more towards like all the integration with the rest of the business. More towards common, uh, what I call combinatory manufacturing. So manufacturing. You know, not only the 3D printed part, but the 3D printed part in combination with a number of mass manufactured parts, uh, and just generally like a professionalization of the industry and, and a shakedown, a shakeout as well. As uh, we see a lot of uh, people, especially on right now on the bottom end, like the 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 100 to 500 dollar uh, mark, uh, there's a lot of people quitting, going bankrupt. A lot of companies are. Finding out that they rode the boom wave, but don't have it actually have a value proposition to, to note, and a lot of people have been completely outcompeted. I think by the just the the Prusai three generally and the Prusai three reference design on the bottom uh, end of the market. You know, so it's, it's a very interesting. You know, it's not something for some Harvard Business Review dude to do at one point, but um, you know, so that's just generally, and you know, and everybody. This is the like last year. The major thing, what everybody was looking for, is applications. Everybody wants applications. Uh, that's what everybody wants. They want the polymer companies want volume. The, the the OEMs want to get into manufacturing. Everybody wants to qualify materials. 
and everybody wants to make millions of things. And so there's been a lot of like chasing of exactly the same applications and a lot of people trying to make stuff happen, like for example, footwear and, and other stuff like that. And a lot of failures, I guess. And, and this is where stuff gets serious. So serious money is being spent now on you know qualifying parts for aerospace, qualifying parts for FDA approval kind of processes and that kind of thing. And we're also seeing some like really serious failure because you can't really a couple of years ago you couldn't really fail because the only thing you did is you had to impress some business development moral you know, and that was really easy. They're, they're you know they're not that bright so uh, and 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 you know they they don't care about actually manufacturing. That's a big difference. That's it essentially. Well, you know, uh, last well this year, uh, early this year, we were uh, developing this, finishing the development of our new scanner, and uh, we wanted to create a prototype that will look exactly like the finished product, injection molding, with a nice, colorful logo on it, so that no one can tell the difference, because you know molds take months, um, and we needed a prototype for like marketing materials. And in the end, after looking at all the options out there, the really expensive printers, the every other industrial option, uh, manufacturing option, we had to just be honest with ourselves and that we're going to order from China and we're going to order uh, something that will be made on a CNC machine. So yeah, in the end, yeah. we couldn't find a 3D printer and we, in the end, we paid, I think, $1,500 for one casing. Yeah. It was like huh? worth its weight in gold. Uh, so we had the money to spend, uh, we were willing to pay, but we couldn't find a high quality uh, uh, 3D printer uh, anywhere in the world. So we just went to the old fashioned ways and we were really happy with the result. Aww. So I think, as, I think. as far as I'm concerned, 3D printing really still has a long way to go if you're talking about the finished product. No, I think I think if you're just looking for, is it a visual model or was it just like, no, what no, was no, it? No, no, it has for? to be a functional, like the, the last prototype, I would say. It had to look just the same as the final product would look. No, with a, with a bunch of or with a bunch of handmade, like in a combination of doing that handmade plus SLA, you should be able to get uh, you know the injection molded finish plus like you know if you just take an SLA part and you put a couple of uh, colors of paint on it and fill it and then sand it down, then you can make a one on one copy. And a lot of consumer electronics companies already do this for exactly this uh, application for the final prototype, but also for form and fit testing. And also for, uh, like, for example, brochures and stuff, you know, and to make the brochures like six months, send the pictures to Amazon six months before they actually have the product, you know. Exactly. Um, so that are, that you could have done, uh, the, like Materialize does this, for example. Uh, there's a uh, there's a 3D systems unit, I think, uh, that are really good at this. They're, they're, they used to be called Chemo. Uh, they're really amazing, actually. They do this stuff like this. I don't know. It's probably a part of, like, uh, Quick Parts or something. I don't know what at this point, but... Uh, um, they're really artisans in this kind of thing, um, and they do a lot of really high-end stuff. And uh, as does materialize, and then there's other options as well. If you want to do like kind of like get there but not get there kind of, then there's uh, like Star Prototype, for example, and a couple other guys in China as well. Uh, but it is a question of finding it. I mean, I think it's interesting to note that the bulk uh, sintering businesses have been uh, gone online, which is like the 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 three scanning. You know, this kind of like handmade high-end stuff has really not found its way online. Just because, yeah, you usually kind of have to know the guy and trust him because it's going to be, it's like a make-or-break deadline for everyone, you know? Exactly, so, yeah. So it's hard so, to, so to, to, to gamble with that, right? Because you need it yeah, exactly, exactly, you know, yeah. a proven method at a, at a specific date, and you can't play around with it. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's what's kept a lot of these like high-end service bureaus, like Profit, for example, or Fit in Germany, and uh, FKM in Germany as well. These kind of guys, and, and Material as well, and these kind of bureaus have, have traditionally uh, 3D RPT on metals in the States or in the UK. Um, and even like you know, you come businesses like large businesses that are now part of like bigger companies like Solid Concepts and Harvest and stuff. These guys traditionally were kind of regional because you needed to look at somebody else in the eye and say, you know, I'm going to present this to the CEO or a board. You know, I need my coffee maker it needs to be perfect. You know, right. So on the one hand, it trapped us because it kept us in really high margin, right? Uh, and it, it trapped uh, the company as well because you'd have lots of really good customers. Uh, who needed really hands-on kind of treatment, and they were tended to be very local. So, so they kept these guys kind of very regional in a high-margin, high-touch product that required a lot of finishing, and also was not very efficient. You would have, like, for example, maybe a sintering machine that's machined like 150, 300k or something like that. Um, it would cost you. Well, it depends on how much a build is like. With a build, well, this thing might depends on if you run it or you don't run it or whatever. It might cost you like 60k or 100k a month or whatever. It, if you're running it and 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 you'd probably leave one maybe empty with like black material just in case a car company customer wanted like an interior car part and you would just leave it empty leave it not doing anything just in case that customer calls on a wednesday night and then they need it tomorrow you know so yeah it got everybody kind of trapped in these kind of like fat and happy kind of high margin uh, low volume businesses but also you know gave a lot of these skilled kind of applications where you know, you'd be making drills or whatever that look one-on-one like uh, the other ones or concept cars and that kind of thing. Well, that, that's very interesting that you'd leave a whole machine not doing anything just in case someone calls. I've never heard that business-wise. Yeah. That, that seems extremely oh, stupid. Because uh, they pay a lot of money for you to leave that machine open. I mean, it has to be a lot of money, right? Oh, but yeah, you're talking about like, oh, the car industry. You're talking about like, you know, yeah, yeah, the medical industry. You're talking about really large scales where you're spending you know fifty to a hundred thousand dollars for that thing so yeah it doesn't matter so so that, that but that you have to understand is that's your background then when the shapeways came along and all these other guys like sculpt air or whatever all these dudes yeah you think these philistines what are they doing you know <laughs> right because it's a really completely different kind of uh, way of looking at it and it's super inefficient they wouldn't run the machines on weekends for example they wouldn't even take the builds out a lot of these guys on the, on, in the evenings or that kind of thing it was it was not a it was not a manufacturing business and the machines were set up to be it looked kind of like your coffee machine it looked like kind of a self-contained unit but the amount of settings and the amount of unknowns that were there and and really meant it wasn't suited for prime time and if you look at the technology you know, you're you're really looking at a high touch uh, uh, manual labor. Even something that we're making tens of millions of parts in, for example, the 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 dental part. There's tens of millions of bridges made out of polymers. Tens of millions of crowns and things made out of titanium and other materials. Um, and there's tens of millions of hearing aids as well. All these are, are also like they have to be touched by people and they have to be. Uh, sawed down and and, and uh, you know uh, finished by people, so it's a, it's a really artisanal kind of industry. It's not manufacturing at this point, you know, and super inefficient. I think about the business, about talking about inefficient businesses. I really want to know more about these these photo booths because yeah. that looked like I really I really do because I, I I like uh, in Eindhoven where my parents live. There's a, there's a big electronic store and they have one of these photo booths. I've never seen a person go in it. So why did everyone get this wrong, and why 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 did this not work? Well, there's two you types really kind of, of booths. 
there's two uh, types. Uh, the ones that use photogrammetry, which is when you have a bunch of uh, regular photo cameras just spread around the perimeter. Um, just regular Canon or Nikon or something. Um, and that's a really cool booth because you can actually get a 3D scan of somebody jumping up in the air. It's instantaneous. It's like a fraction of a second. So you synchronize all the cameras um, and really good quality of uh, texture, really good quality of the scan itself. However, uh, to get a good scan of a person jumping up in the air, you need to have, I don't know, 50, 70, 100 cameras synchronized. And yeah. even though each, each uh, camera is, let's say, under $1,000, but when you put 100 of them together, plus you need a, a very powerful server or computer to synchronize them all, then the cost, the BOM of this device is outlandish. So if you want to sell it, or even lease it out, it just becomes very, very expensive. So in the end, every scan is very, very expensive. That's not even talking about 3D printing costs if you want to print yourself out later, because that's a whole other a set of expenses. But just scanning-wise, so that's one version of the booth. The other version of the booth is where you have real scanners, 3D scanners, uh, that kind of spin around you, or you spin around and they stand in place. That's also quite expensive because every 3D scanner is expensive and the, the BOM, uh, Bill of Materials. And um, that's also, so you can have a booth that will cost the manufacturer 40,000 euros, dollars. So you can't sell it for less than that, obviously. Plus there's a whole bunch of logistical issues. Um, if that booth breaks, you can't ship it back for repair. So somebody has to come out to that place of business and, and fix it. Uh, and just to ship it there and to set it up, Plus, booths take up about three square meter, uh, nine, uh, like three by three meters of space. So, like, I don't know, in feet for our American audience, I mean, nine, nine by nine feet. Yeah, they, uh, they can suffer. We can do everything yeah. in metric. Uh, we, yeah. <laughs> we are metric only zone. Yeah, this is a metric are only we? zone. Are yeah. We? Well, I'm trying to be fair here to everybody. So, I, uh, that's kind of expensive, right? To give up a, such a huge portion of your retail space or any space for that matter, um, just to that booth. So, it really has to be utilized. And if it's not, then the price of each scan just goes up again uh, because it's underutilized. So, that's, that's part of the problems with the booths is that they're quite expensive. And the ones that work really well are really, really expensive. Um, a good friend of mine uh, in the industry, um, Steve, uh, he, there's this company in Canada, it's called Objects. They, I think, by far have the coolest booth. And I don't want to, uh, I don't want to say something wrong here, but I think the cost of that is over $200,000, maybe even oh, more. Yeah, just for one booth. Now, don't get me wrong, it does a wonderful job. And it's, really high quality um but not a lot of customers can spend that um even if you are disneyland or i don't know disneyland france um <laughs> it's just it's just not something that 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 you can afford and then in the end the, the end product will be really really expensive each scan will be really expensive so if yeah. you have the money go ahead and i just did a plug for him <laughs> hi steve yeah, um but but if but most people don't so that's why it hasn't worked out so far but the scanning itself, because I, I, I thought that the problem would be like stitching and making sure that you got a, a good mesh uh, to 3D print out of it and a good texture and all this kind of stuff. Well, again, with the photogrammetry, it will do a good job. All the booths that I've seen that use like 100 cameras, um, regular SLR cameras, they will do a good job. It's not a problem. 
but it's the cost of it. The, the the boots that have a regular 3D scanner in it, some of the lower cost ones, they use Kinect type of devices, and each Kinect or or Intel RealSense, um, they're pretty cheap. They're $200 each. So even if you have 10 of them installed in the, in the, in the booth, it's still not very expensive. But the quality is going to be really poor just because this technology was not really made for 3D scanning. It was more um, developed for what they call living room applications, which yeah. is when you have a, uh, an Xbox and you have a Kinect near your TV and the Kinect is seeing you in 3D roughly. And then when you are trying to play 3D tennis on your Xbox, then it will actually recognize your swings, right? So mm -hmm. for that, the Kinect is enough. For 3D scanning, anything that's industrial, it, it's just not enough resolution. It's not enough accuracy. Because I thought it was interesting that at one point, so you guys are in this market, it's kind of a B2B industrial. There's really very little consumer exposure. And then all of a sudden, Microsoft comes out with this Kinect, and then and all of a sudden it puts like tens of millions of 3D scanners everywhere. Was that was that a big wake-up moment for you? Did it shake everything up or did it did the industry kind of ignore it? For sure. Well, actually, the Connect, uh, the first Connect was developed by a company called PrimeSense out of uh, Israel, and they were purchased by Apple uh, some years back, I think, four or five years ago. But initially, PrimeSense, this Israeli company, um, developed it, and they were selling it uh, under different brands. Like they've, I think they've licensed it to Asus and to 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 Microsoft and to other big players on the market. And when uh, Apple bought um, uh, this company, uh, Microsoft uh, had to stop selling it with their Xboxes and they went to a different technology. But initially when PrimeSense came out with this technology, I think it was 2009, just around the same time I was starting with Artec and it was, uh, it was interesting because Artec came out with their quite revolutionary at the time scanners and then PrimeSense came out and this sleepy industry of 3D scanning just woke up. All of a sudden, there were all these options. You had the lower end with the Kinect, and then you had the middle, which was Artec, and then everybody else, there aren't that many players. There weren't that many. Uh, Creoform was there for a while in handheld scanners. It's a Canadian company. Um, there were a few others that I think since then went out of business or switched gears. Uh, but that's the other thing, business-wise, that, that that's interesting. Uh, when I think of the 3D printing uh, business and industry, there is so much competition in every niche. There is just, if you're creating a desktop FDM printer, there are 10 uh, companies in every country making a proprietary version, right? If you're creating a metal printer now, there's a bunch of them. SLS printer, there's a bunch of them. There's a lot of competition. Whereas in 3D scanning, in every niche, I would say there's two, three, four players at the most worldwide. So in that sense, we have it easier. Um, on the other hand, I think 3D scanning is used less. There are less customers for scanning than there is for printing. So maybe that's why that's the case. And then that's another thing. I like. It seems that, that there have been a bunch of startups that have tried to cross over into the consumer space. Put a, you know, uh, 3D Systems tried to put a scanner on like an iPad, right? Then there's the, well, there's Intel. Right, that, that, that's made uh, its developer kit, and it's uh, was that real sense or no? Wait, I keep getting them all mixed up. Real sense. Um, so they've tried, yeah, they've tried to make it like much more affordable and much more kind of. Uh, and there's been a bunch of startups out there. 
uh, that have tried to make uh, uh, you know three or three scanning something that, that that is consumer accessible, low cost devices. And I looked once, and it was like, it was like all of them were bankrupt. Not all of them, but the majority of them had, had gone bankrupt. Right. There is um, a little industry secret that I can tell you. <laughs> that uh, uh, a little secret, yeah. So every single the the few companies that do exist that create handheld 3D scanners. There's Thor, us, uh, Artec, Rayoform. Uh, there aren't that many. I'd say five, maybe, in the whole world. Every single one of us, I'm sure, have had uh, visits from the big guys, the Samsungs, the Apples, the Panasonics, uh, the Huawei's. They've all come to visit us. And they've all asked for the same thing. They said, look, we have a 3D sensor. It's very cheap. We've built it into our tablets or into our phones. Now, can you make the data less crappy? The thing is that they're all using something that's called time of flight technology. And it's a way to make the sensor really cheap and uh, actually quite easy to use. Like you don't lose tracking when you use it. It's For a novice, it seems like, hey, this is cheaper and easier to use. Why isn't this everywhere? But when you get the results, you're not very happy with it. A lot of noise, very low resolution. You like if you scanned uh, your mother with it, you will be able to understand that it's a human when you're looking at the scan. It's a human. It's probably a female, but you will not be able to tell that it's your mother, just because the resolution is so low and there's not enough detail in the face and then the body. So they all have this problem, all of them, Panasonic, Samsung, Apple, Huawei, they all have the same problem. They have these sensors, they're very cheap, they're built into their devices already, they have been for several years now, but the data is not really good. It's not good enough for industrial purposes for sure, but it's not good enough even for some of the more frivolous things like posting yourself in 3D on Facebook. And and is that because... In the beginning, you kind of at the one point you said there's no resolution in this market. At the one point, you've also said it's a problem with math, right? And then I'm thinking like a big company like Apple or Samsung and these guys, they have the wherewithal to change this, don't they? Yeah, but they're using technology that right now has its limits, just like I said, optics, like the optics industry. So the way that their hardware is, you can't, no matter how wonderful your mathematicians are, um, you can't get more better quality out of it, right? And that's the difference in price. So their sensor, let's say, is two hundred dollars. Our scanner retail price is five thousand. So a lot of times we get asked, well, "What's the difference? Like, how come you guys are so much more expensive?" And we say we use a different approach and we use different hardware, and it's much more expensive. So that's that's the difference. So they can't seem to solve with their decision to use like really cheap hardware. And this approach, which is called time of flight, um, they can't seem to get better results out of it. No matter how huge of a company you are, no matter how many mathematicians you have on staff, there are limits to what they can do with it because they're bound by the, the the hardware limits. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Well. All right. That's that interesting. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good to know because I've always wondered. Like, it keeps coming up. Like, everybody kind of assumes that at one point, like two years now, whatever. My iPhone is going to have a 3D scanner, you know? Right. And it does already, actually. Um, right, it's just scanning and whatnot. Right. And you can use it for 3D applications, but go ahead and try it. That's that's When when people don't believe me, when I say the quality is really 
noticeably worse. Um, I say go ahead and try it and then you'll come back in a week and you'll still buy our scanners. There's a reason why there's a whole uh, slew of uh, choices for 3D scanning that's above $1,000 per unit um, because most people will require higher quality than what the iPhone can uh, produce. What's really admirable about what Apple has done is that they've solved uh, quite a few problems that uh, have been around. For example, uh, scanning in sunlight is really difficult because the sun interferes with what you're seeing, what the scanner is seeing. So as far as I know, uh, the uh, face uh, recognition application works quite well in direct sunlight. It's not an issue for them. So they've solved that. Good for them. But they haven't solved, they haven't solved the main one, which is resolution how detailed is the scan how accurate is it okay okay that's good all right <clears throat> so I'd, uh yeah i think i think that was a great episode i think i think i yeah. really enjoyed that and really learned some stuff you so, guys are thank you very much i like you guys <laughs> can we do this can we do this again this is fun uh, possibly I, I, I mean, you know this was fun for no. me too <laughs> no <laughs> all right uh, so, wait so, will maybe, i see you guys maybe. at um, at form next i'm gonna be at form next You'll, you'll see Joris. I, I'm not going to be there. But you'll see me. I'll be looking haggard. I'll be very irritable. Uh, well, come visit us. We have a so booth. Be, you'll say hi. You'll say hi. Yeah, please. Please come by and we'll get to meet each other in person. Yeah, oh, yeah that's nice. I'll do it. I'll do it. All right. Well, sounds good. Hey, thank uh, you, guys. All right. So, so thank you, everyone. This is another episode of the 3D Pod. And... Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did, and uh, I thought it was very enjoyable. I'd like to thank the, the people that were on uh, today. Uh, so, for Max? Yeah, thanks. It was a great episode, and then if anyone uh, has any comments or wants to share anything, please feel free to send us an email, and of course, as always, uh, share it on whatever podcasting system that you're using and let other people know about it. And uh, thank you so much, Anna, for coming along and then talking to us about 3D scanning. Well, thank you very much. It was a real hoot. I forgot we were taping for a while. Um, <laughs> thank you, and have a great day, evening, wherever you are. All right. Hey, thanks. thanks. Bye. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint.com.